have a great story that uh, one of my cousins, since it was all called French music at the time, she thought that the the dials on the radio where it says FM and AM, she thought FM was French music and AM was American music. That's just what it was. There was no, you know, Cajun wasn't even a, that, that's more of a, um, that's what they used to sell. Once Cajun, once, you know, Cajun and Louisiana got popular, it became cool, and they now they wanted to make money on it. So Cajun, Cajun sells, so... Welcome to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. I'm Joe McHugh, and back in 2015, my wife Paul and I were invited to spend three days in Greensboro, North Carolina, as guests of the National Folk Festival. While there, I had the opportunity to interview a number of musicians, such as Irish fiddler James Kelly, old-time fiddler and violin maker Trevor Stewart, and Chris Krebs, who plays bass with the Dale Watson Band. I also had the chance to sit down with two members of the Pine Leaf Boys from Louisiana. Their lively music is a weaving together of Cajun, Zydeco, Swamp Pop, Country, and Soul. This podcast features my conversation with Courtney Granger. My name is uh, Courtney Granger. I grew up in uh, Eunice, Louisiana, and now live in, in Lafayette, Louisiana. I'm, I was born in 1982. I just turned 33 in July. And I, I I come from a musical family. I didn't necessarily grow up with the music, um, but my uncles were the legendary Baffa brothers um, from Southwest Louisiana. And they were the um, pretty much the first people of Louisiana to travel outside of the state and present Cajun music and Creole music to the world at a time where um, it was it was looked down upon to be a Cajun, to speak the language and to play the music. Um, in that area, particularly. In that area, yeah. Hmm. Um, they were invited to the Newport Folk Festival in 1964, and that was the first time that they had ever heard of a festival. They never played for any any you know big group, more than 200 people, you know, how to dance. So they really didn't know what they were getting themselves into. And, and you know, the local people in the local newspapers even were writing articles saying, how could you, why would you want to go and present this, what they call chank-a-chank music to these people? You're going to get laughed off stage. You, you know, you're going you're gonna to be an embarrassment not only to yourselves but to the state of Louisiana. But they went anyway, and they got there, and after the first song, they had a standing ovation for 17,000 people. And my uncles took that. <laughs> That's a good sign. Yeah, they, they took the echo of that applause back home, and, you know, my uncle Dewey Balfour, he was a, pretty much the spokesperson for the band and later for the culture, and, it, you know, he just went home and was like, 
this is what just happened. Why, why, why should we be embarrassed of where we come from, the food we eat, the language we speak, the music we play? We need to start playing this on the front porch instead of hiding on the back porch. Or, you know, we need to present this to our, to our children before it's gone. And it, it, took a, it took a long time for him to convince, you know, the schools and just um, professors, all, you know, all these people at home and the legislature, you know, the government to, to really back him up on trying to preserve what we have. And he worked until the day he died in 1992 to, to do that. And it's because of him that I'm playing music and it's because of him that Cajun music is here in North Carolina. He's the reason why we, we can, we get to bring it to places like Saudi Arabia. We went, you know, these exotic places that, that in 19, in the 1950s and sixties, even before that, it wasn't even a thought in anybody's mind. Dewey pe- played what he was he a played fiddle. fiddle yeah. yeah, I met Dewey years ago. Yeah. He came to Augusta, this program mm-hmm. in West Virginia, where yeah. they teach traditional yeah. music. I was teaching a storytelling course. Okay, and I got to meet him, and uh, impressive man. He yeah, he really was. He he had friends all, all over the world. Um, what and was he's, his... the, he's the one who actually started the Augusta, the Cajun program at Augusta. What was his daytime job before this? Finally, I don't know if it ever became his full time gig. But what was his? He had a lot of a lot of um, a lot of jobs. He was a um, insurance salesman. He was a furniture store owner, um, a bus driver, and I, I, for the most part, that's what he did. He kind of did all that at one time with playing music on the weekends and his occasional, you know, trips out of Louisiana. But he he did everything. Yeah. Do you know about the fiddle that he played? Is that fiddle still in the family? That fiddle, yeah. His main fiddle, which we uh, nicknamed the old man. He may have nicknamed it the old man. Um, Peter Schwarz actually has that. He was a, He's the son of uh, Tracy Schwarz with the New Law City Ramblers. And uh, Dewey became really good friends with Tracy from the New York Folk Festival. So he, they're kind of like family for us. Um, and Peter had an apprenticeship with Dewey when he was younger. So when Dewey died, he'd pass it on to, to Peter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, uh, I played it um, a couple of weeks ago. We were in the studio, and he brought it with, the, with him. He's producing a record for uh, Baffle Du Jour, who I'm a part of as well. And so he brought the old man, so I got to play it. It sounds, it sounds so sweet. It did, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, of a romantic turn of nature, and... Uh, the idea that you know we we imprint the molecular world in some fundamental way with mm-hmm. our soul energy, especially something as passionate as playing the fiddle. Did you have that sense at all when you played an instrument like that? That a personality oh, yeah, I, goes with it. Yeah, definitely. I I remember as a kid, I used to um, pick up an old fiddle. I know his daughter Christine has a, a couple of them. And I I pick up this fiddle, and I kind of I knew what fiddle it was and what what recording it was from. So I'd play the tunes that were on that recording that he played that fiddle, and it was like it just flowed out of me. I don't. It was yeah. It was kind of like his ghost (laughs) coming into me and playing that for me. It was it was so 
it was surreal. So yeah, get, getting to play those those old instruments like that, it's like, oh, it's pretty special. A phrase popped into my head. I just, I don't know if I'm inventing it, but you know, we, we talk in the musician world, of course, about muscle memory, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. A lot of what we do, if you've played enough, is muscle memory. This is kind of soul memory stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> So uh, how did this, okay, so you're around this rich musical tradition, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about how this music came down to that part of the world, Mm -hmm. and then, uh, but also get back to your story. So why don't you give me some background on sort of the more general history of how this music, Cajun music, came to be, and then tell me how the first time you suddenly decided or realized you were going to be doing this. Right. Um, Well, the, the Cajuns came down from what was then called Lacadie, which is now Nova Scotia. They were um, deported from there in 1755. And like we were saying earlier, they brought, they brought their music with them. Um, a, lot, a lot of the, the Acadians, they, they're all along the East Coast, but most of them settled down in Louisiana. And they were forced. They were forced, yeah. They, were, they, they didn't want to pledge allegiance to the king at the time. The King uh, of England. Yeah. So this would be so, after what we call the French and Indian War. Yeah. Sometime following that, yeah. when British got control of right. Canada. Yeah. So the, the, you know, their, their houses were burned and everything was destroyed to try to get them to, to pledge allegiance to the king. They wouldn't. So and they got on boats and, and they left and, and took their music. And so, yeah, they finally made it to Louisiana and there was, you know, it was. I, I'm guessing it was more of a Celtic sound then, um, not so much what we think of Cajun music today. Um, there's an old uh, fiddle player, Mr. Dennis McGee, All right. um, and his style was like nothing else. You know, it, it, it's the only to me is the only link we had to that time, because now Cajun music is more smooth and and slick, and but his style was really rough and syncopated and 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 lot of celtic influence in it as well so um and, and back then because uh, a lot of people associate the accordion mm-hmm. with cajun music there was that, no accordion at the time there was now so the fiddle the violin is the main instrument yeah yeah and, violin and, and 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 vocal yeah and triangle maybe i think that came later so or, really, or maybe maybe not I, i'm i'm not sure about that um right. but i think it was mostly just fiddle at that time right and if we're going back to it was a pre-American revolution, so we're sort of just past the golden age of Stradivari. I mean, this is when mm-hmm. the violin has, maybe 100 years earlier, really came into the shape, the right. form that it has stayed in uh, ever since, essentially. So, um, And they were playing French music, too, I would imagine. I would imagine, yeah, because I'm, 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 they came from France originally. Yeah. And, and when you say Celtic, that's that quality, you know, the Brittany Fiddling is, yeah. a, is a Celtic yeah. kind of variation on the French culture. So, yeah, it's its own unique sound. It is, yeah. It, it, yeah, it came, it actually, I, I know a lot of my family came from Brittany to Nova Scotia, and so I'm sure they took, took it from there and then with the mix of, you know, the French-Canadian music, too, and then came to Louisiana, then there's a lot of Spanish influence, a lot of um, um, Native American influence, and... and it's like we could just call it a big, a big gumbo pot of, you know, different cultures and music to make what we play today. Yeah, yeah. And then you have the generation, 
Sort of not getting along too well between the Celts and the British. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it depends on what country or place in the world we're talking about that. Okay, so uh, so this is the music, and uh, you're basically a young guy, mm-hmm. and uh, so you're looking back. You know, a lot of young people don't look back. They look forward to right. electronics and different kinds and punk and whatever the thing mm-hmm. is, that's the fad of the time, musical right. fad. So tell me how you came to this and what it's meant for you. Well, I started... I, th- I guess I can say I officially started in, in 92. Um, my my dad is uh, the nephew of the Balfour Brothers. My grandmother is their older sister. So he grew up with the music. He grew up with the Balfour Brothers playing in his living room. He he was in the thick of it at the time when the Balfour Brothers were really out there promoting and, and all these, you know, all these hippies with, with, with video cameras and, and, and mics and all this recording, they would all show up at Dewey's house for weeks and months at a time just documenting all this stuff because it was so new. So my dad was really into it. Um, was he a player? He wasn't a player. He played some guitar and, and, and a little bit of fiddle, but he, he, I don't think he ever got the, you know, he worked a lot. He was, you know, my, my parents were divorced, so he just worked so much. And he didn't get the, the time in that he wanted to to um, to um play, but it's all in his heart. I mean, he's just, he's an, he's so emotional when he listens to the, to the music of the family or just Cajun music in general. He's just one big teardrop. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, so that was my, you know, my dad's story. Then, you know, he married my mom and, my mom grew up in that generation as well where it wasn't it wasn't cool to be you know to be cajun or you know just looked down upon and uh so they finally finally divorced in the late 80s and my dad went nuts he bought every instrument under the sun he bought every Balfour brothers record he just i mean went nuts with it <laughs> So all of a sudden, I'm like, what? What is all? We get to his house one weekend. I was like, Dad, what is? What's going on? And, and I, at that time, I didn't know anything. I didn't know the history of my my family. I didn't. That it was never talked about, as far as I can remember, in our house. So that's when it all started. You know, we, he started making me listen to the old Balfour Brother records and looking at pictures and, and reading books. And at that age, I'm like, our family's in books. You know, in Cajun history books and all, you know. And are you going back and forth at this point with your mom? And are you? Yeah. I mean, you're still at that age where you're with your mom sometimes, with right. your dad sometimes. Right. Um, and funny thing, even though my mom was, wasn't was totally for it, she never discouraged it either. So it, there was never any of, any of that. It was like, oh, my God, he brought home a fiddle. But just only because I'm scratch on it for the next year. But it had nothing to do with, you know looking down upon the the music or whatever. Um, but my dad would never, he had his fiddle hanging on the wall, but he would and always pick it up, but he would never tell me no. He would never discourage me from picking it up. So that's kind of how it, it all started. And he, he, he taught me my first song, the, the Balfour Waltz. And I guess, I guess that Christmas, he bought me a little three-quarter size fiddle or something. And I remember bringing it... Uh, to Dewey's house, and uh, he was just starting to get sick at that time with cancer. 
Um, so he took my little fiddle and he played a little song on it. And so I, I never got to learn from him or, you know, anything like that. But in those few years, you know, when my parents divorced till he died, I really got to spend some time with him, go to his gigs and stand behind him on <laughs> behind him on stage. And when I would act up, he'd hit me with his bow a little bit behind him. But, um, yeah, and then uh, the year that Dewey passed away, they had a... How old were you? I was, I was 92, so I'm, I must have been eight or nine. And later that year, November that year of 92, Peter Shores came to Eunice, Louisiana, where I was from, and he was a coordinator for the Louisiana Folklife Festival at the time. So we totally took advantage of that and uh, started taking lessons from Peter. Which was, you know, the, to me, the next next best thing, you know, because he learned directly from Dewey and that that Balfour style of fiddle playing. And then that's how it happened. It just took off from there. So what was happening with your peers at this time? Just give me a sense of that. It wasn't easy. Um, I, I think I think I was one of maybe four or five fiddle players of my generation at that time. Playing, everybody wanted to play accordion. Accordion was the thing, you know. Steve Raleigh, Wayne Toops, they were really hitting it big in, in the in the scene. So everybody wanted to be Steve Raleigh and Wayne Toops. So there were no, really, no fiddle players around. And but even even just in school, I mean, the Cajun music. It where I'm from in Eunice, it, it's in the '80s. It was you know. All, all these great musicians came from Eunice, but somehow my generation, it, it just, it, <laughs> they weren't happy with it. Uh, I got called all kind of names. Well, this is a variation on a story. I've, I've talked to some classical musicians, I mean, really, of uh, this one person I talked to who just came kind of ostracized mm-hmm. as a violinist, a classic, you know, nerdy kid who brings a violin to school. And yet he kept at it. He loved the music, but he it did not endear him to his friends. And then he went to, um, I think, Interlock in one of these music camps. And he said he couldn't believe it. They were all people like him. Yeah. <laughs> he just, you know, he didn't know they existed. Yeah. And they were all, you know, carrying cellos and violas mm-hmm. and violins. And I just love that image. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I. Although I, I was called all kind, <laughs> all kind of names, but it, to me, it, it never bothered me. Because I, I guess in my mind, they didn't know where I came from. They didn't know my, how special my family was. They, you know, and they, they had no way of knowing at, at that age. So it never, it, just, it never affected me to the point where I was like, oh, I'm not doing this. So, you know, it's not cool or anything. It was just, I played with all these old musicians at such a young age. I was, I got, I got to go to these jam sessions and and be with all kind of people. I, I just, I loved what I did. I loved what the music was doing for me. I was growing up faster than my my peers were, because I was hanging out with you know people forty years older than me playing this music. Um, and there's a thing about fiddling, it seems to go together in every culture, and I'd be curious about the Cajun culture, where it's just not playing music. It's 
this constant alternation, almost like an AC current, right, between good storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about necessarily folk tales or, or even jokes, although there's a lot of jokes, yeah. but just life stories, yeah. family lore, great stuff. And then you play the tune. Yeah. And you play another tune. And you don't just sit down and play tunes all night long. Yeah. There's this break. And I find that with the older people. Now, some young musicians I know now who've come to it um, almost get irritated if people stop to tell a story and talk yeah. about this or that. And they get kind of, well, we're here to play. Yeah, right. And you see that? Is yeah, that- oh, definitely. I, that's that's how I grew up playing. I, I was, I think I was maybe 10 or 11 when I had my first gig with... Um, a great accordion player who used to play with the Balfour Brothers. So to me, that you know, I grew up hearing these recordings of uh, his name was uh, Ali Young. We called him Nonkale, which means Uncle Ali. He, I grew up listening to these old recordings of of him playing with the Balfour Brothers, and now I'm playing gigs with him at you know 12, 13 years old. To me, that was the coolest thing in the world. And just to hear all his stories about his travels with my uncles and and what it was like and what they were like. Um, although I knew Ma could do it, but I didn't know the other two brothers, Will and Ronnie, because they passed away in a car wreck in 79. Mm. And, you know, so I got to hear all these old stories, of, you know, and we maybe played we, there for two or three hours to play this restaurant gig. We maybe played 10 songs because we just talked, you know, he was giving me advice and just telling me stories and or just listening to the older men tell their their stories you know that they probably shouldn't be telling in front of a 12 year old um so that was to me that was the best education in the world it wasn't about playing all the time it was just being immersed with legends was any of that story about how to get out of a bar when things get a little rough (laughs) (laughs) i mean was there some rough stuff that went on there was some rough stuff yeah i mean mean, you know people drink dance that fiddle's got a kind of thing about it in other cultures, I know it does, and mm. I imagine the Cajun, it, it can get the passions going. Yeah, uh, Cajuns like to drink, especially especially the musicians. So, yeah, uh, and there's a lot of stories about, the, you know, just having uh, chicken wire up on the stage so that, you know, they wouldn't get hurt from the fights on the dance floor. Um, yeah, there was a lot of... Any, any of those stories that popped to mind right now that you can think of, with Dewey or any of the others? I don't think that I can tell on radio now. <laughs> we are talking yeah. about family. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. But when I and I started playing in bars at fourteen, I mean, I I really got a good education. Human nature. Human nature. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also been, you know, we talk about the violin. Love this sort of traveling aspect of the violin. You know, it's traveled all mm-hmm. over the world. Um, because it's so portable, whether it's gypsies, whether it's the travelers in Ireland, you know, this idea that it travels, the Civil War, these stories of Mm -hmm. guys with fiddles under their, in their knapsacks. Yeah. The fiddle's taken you a lot of places, hasn't it? It has taken me a lot of places. I I, I started touring when I was 17, uh, joined uh, the group Boffa Toujours. And that was a dream come true right there because it's my family, you know, it's... uh, led by uh, Dewey's daughter, Christine. And when they started the band in 93, that was my biggest dream, is to just one day I'm going to play with Balfour Toujours. That, that was it. That was my... And it, it happened. Um, started playing upright bass with them 
I needed to get in there somehow. Um, and we just started going on the road. I, I, I remember the, the first tour we did was a three-month tour at 17 years old. And I, it, that was amazing. We went, went everywhere, right? all, all over the States, Canada, Europe, um, places I, uh, I never thought I'd go. Our, our people from my hometown would even, it's not even a, a, a thought in their mind that they can even go there, you know? So I, I felt very lucky to, that the fiddle brought me there. My family history brought me, you know, the family tradition, all this kind of stuff. But there was something not as easy about it because now you're telling me you're playing the bass. And from what I hear, traveling with the bass is a <laughs> Well, at that, at that time we had a um, what they called a bug bass. It was electric upright. So it kind of folded into uh, a, yeah. Oh, so li- life was a little easier. Life was a little easier, yeah. It was, yeah. So what's the uh, uh, fiddle you're playing now? The fiddle I'm playing now, well, that's an interesting story. Um, I was playing a, a an old fiddle. And that's another thing, too. You were talking about how the fiddle travels. I've never had a fiddle built in the 1900s. And they were always 18, 1700s. I've always, I, somehow they always ended up in my hands. So I, I think about that, like, on the note, it's like built in 1789, can you imagine the hands it went through, the journey it took from when it was built to to get into my hands? But with that said, I had a great fiddle, and um, unfortunately it got stolen. Um, Tell me about that. Well, it's my fault, actually. <laughs> um, these are, I, I came, these I came are painful back, stories. Yeah, I came back from a gig, a late-night gig, and I had, I had another gig early in the morning. Like, I was leaving at 6. I had had to go play in Mamou, Louisiana, Fred's Lounge, which is a great place. Um, anyway, I got back from the gig, and I, I just went into the house and left the instruments in the car, not even thinking. So I get up, and I get into the car to go to drive an hour and a half, and I just smelt this cheap cheap cigarettes is what I smelt in my car. And I looked, and something told me to look in the back seat. They were gone. Fiddle and guitar. So right now I'm playing um, a fiddle. I actually kind of learned on my dad had, you know, he bought for a hundred dollars a Chinese, you know, Chinese fiddle. So I'm, I'm making do with that right now until I can get my hands on a, on a good fiddle. So. Yeah. That's a yeah, boy. That's tough, isn't it? Yeah, it is tough. And we, I hear a lot of a lot of other horror stories from you know same thing happened to other musicians. So I don't I don't feel I don't feel so bad. I don't feel like the Lone Ranger. Now, do you think you'd recognize that fiddle if you saw it again? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, if you heard I, it again, maybe. Hmm? If you heard it, maybe so. But I, I definitely if I if I saw it again, and even the um, the lady who works on my fiddles, Anya Burgess. Um, I think she was more upset than I was. She said, "I can, I can, I can draw that fiddle from memory right now." It's like, so we've been looking all over pawn shops around the state and all that kind of stuff. But how long ago does happen? This was in May, I believe. Oh, this year. Yeah. yeah. So this is a kind of interesting time for you in your life because now you're thinking a new violin, and there's a lot of uh, retuning of the violins in the tradition. Tell me if you do that or not. In the not so much in Cajun music. Um, most accordion play. It's all we have the tune to the accordion. Um, 
there's a C box and a D box. But um, a lot a lot of people now, they, they used to retune or carry two fiddles with them because a lot of accordion players switch from a C to a D. Um, most of them just stay on a C accordion. So what we do, we tune the fiddle one step down. But you're not in a standard, are you? No, we're um, instead of E, A, D, G, it's uh, D, G, C, F. Just, yeah. But you're um, still fifths apart? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah we are. Because I thought at times, like, you know, we have that, I guess, sawmill tuning, they call it some people, the, the uh, A-E-A-E. Mm-hmm. Do you do any kind of cross-tuning like that? Not so tuning? much anymore. I, they they use, like, when Dennis McGee yes. played. Dennis McGee did a lot of cross-tuning. Right. Um, so that but was that, But the, that was pre-accordion. And that was in the tradition. Yes. But then the accordion came around and sort of just took over. You know, became the leader of the the group and became the main instrument. So things the fiddle player had to change for the accordion player. So there was no more cross tuning going on. So there's no love lost between the accordion player. And the we won't go there either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah we'll talk, talk to Wilson. About <laughs> um, but uh, I imagine too the cross tuning back in the day was to give it more volume. Right, for because dances. it was the, it was the only yeah. There was no amplification. It was there was no no accordion. It was just two fiddles mainly playing a dance, a, a house dance with maybe you know, probably seven to hundred people in it. So yeah, you had to get that that volume out. And that was and the cross tuning gives you the drones. So right. you're playing two strings all the time. Right, and then there was a second fiddler playing chords behind you and rhythm. So that, yeah, they had to get as much volume out of those instruments as possible. So yeah, the, the cross tuning would would have helped a lot. And no banjos in that tradition. No. Interesting. Even yeah. though you were that you're in the South. Yeah. And that was a plantation instrument, more or less. Didn't it didn't come into the French? Was there yeah. much influence of the uh, African American influence in the Cajun music, or yeah. how did that work? Well, I know time, by the time you get into Zydeco and all. Right. That. Well, at the time it, before it was Cajun or Zydeco music, it was all just called French music. We just called it French music. It didn't matter what you know if you were black or white. What it, we there was no separation. It was that's what we played. But obviously, the the Creole side of it had a lot of African influence. It was a little more syncopated, um, and and the singing was more bluesy. The playing was a little more bluesy, and on the Cajun side, there was. Um, Texas was, you know, Texas is right there, and we have such a had such a big influence on our fiddle playing or our music with Texas swing and country western. So the Cajun music was more of kind of evolved into that style, while the the Creole music was stayed more syncopated and more blues mm-hmm. um, influence. I have a great story that uh, one of my cousins, since it was all called French music at the time, she thought that the the dials on the radio where it says FM and AM. She thought FM was French music and AM was American music. That's just what it was. There was no, you know, Cajun wasn't even a, that, that's more of a, um, that's what they used to sell. Once Cajun, once, you know, Cajun and Louisiana got popular, it became cool and they now they wanted to make money on it. So Cajun, Cajun sales. So it was mostly just, uh, les Acadiens is what we were called, the Acadians. And it kind of evolved to, oh, well, let's make it Cajun. You know, they made up this word for it, which, you know, everything's Cajun now. 
Yeah. So. I, I learned my fiddling in central West Virginia. Mm-hmm. There's a particular style and sound of that music. And I lived there for a good number of years. And then some years later, I came back and recorded people telling family stories. You know, West Virginia's a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I had this woman named uh, Olita Singleton. She was 90 years old. And I recorded her, and she just had one story after another. Just right. brilliant. But I found that when I was listening to them and editing the stories, I was hearing Melvin Wine's fiddle music. The, the intonation of mm-hmm. the way she used language was really identical. Oh, yeah. And I'm just curious what your thoughts might be in terms of the way the people in your part of the world speak and the tunes you play. Is, do you feel there's a connection there? Can you hear that? Hmm, that's a an interesting, interesting question. Um, I don't know. I don't know um, if the the way they speak has anything to do with it. I, I think maybe the region they lived in had a lot to do with the different styles of fiddle playing or just Cajun music in general around Louisiana, because there are different different styles. You get to New Orleans as a whole, the fiddle playing in general is is a different. Um, Is there much fiddle playing even going on in those other traditions? You know, when people think New Orleans music, don't mm-hmm. usually think of the, of the violin. No, I mean, the, there are some, but it. when people think of Louisiana or Cajun music, they automatically think New Orleans. New Orleans is a great city. It's got a, tons of great music, but Cajun music is, you know, on the bottom of the list when it comes to New Orleans. But there are some musicians in the New Orleans area and surrounding areas. Um, uh, Way- uh, Waylon Thibodeau comes to mind. He's a fiddle player from New Orleans, and his style is completely different from, you know, the style of around Lafayette and Eunice, you know, the rural areas around there. Um, and I, I don't know much about the New Orleans culture to even know why it sounds different. It's just, a, it's more of a, to me, it's more of a showy style of playing more than playing it in the fields you know when you were younger and hard times and and the Cajun music comes from unfortunately a lot of it comes from sorrow and heartbreak um even the fast even the fast tunes the words are sad you know a happy tune but you know the words are are why did you leave me (laughs) you know you left me to go for you know with another and so that's that's where where I grew up, where um, the style, the the lyrics, and the and the way you played the fiddle, just that mournful, sorrowful sound. That to me, the Balfour Brothers were famous for, and a lot of the people in that area. Um, but New Orleans fiddle playing is not like that. It's more of I, I think of it more like Branson, Missouri type show tune, right. you know. But I don't know why that is. That's just what I hear. And not talking bad about that at all, but it's just that, to me, that's how it's different. Right. Well, you know, fiddling certainly has been influenced by commercial Mm -hmm. aspects and considerations, you know. And And New Orleans is very commercial. New Orleans is, you know, one of the famous cities in in the United States. Right. Well, did Katrina impact your area in, in ways that in any way had an impact on the music or what was going on there? Well, in our area, yeah, in Lafayette area, for sure, because um, a lot of the musicians from New Orleans um, came 
to Lafayette. I went went west to Lafayette. So we got a lot of, you know, in those, at least for five, six months, there was a lot of different kinds of music in Lafayette, you know, that, that we had never, either either we never heard before or just, you know, just not used to hearing. Um, and a lot of those people stayed in Lafayette. They didn't go back to New Orleans. They say because in, in, in Lafayette, the, the music... The music is rich there. Um, not just Cajun music, country music, uh, indie music. I mean, just the music scene in Lafayette. It's it's incredible. So, I think everybody found their little um, place in Lafayette that they can play their music. You know. Um, well, it was a blessing out of tragedy, maybe. Yeah. What you're saying, yeah. Yeah. For yeah, well, for both sides, for sure. Yeah. Here's a tune performed by the Pineleaf Boys with Courtney on the fiddle titled Festival Acadians Two-Step.
So now down in your part of the world, culturally connected, what is this idea? Is there any of that lore of the devil or of, let's say, other sides, other supernatural powers, whether they're ghost-like or uh, that either invest the violin or players? Not, not that I've heard. Not, not too much. I, I... So no Charlie Daniels stuff going on in no. that culture and that tradition? No, I, no, not, not, not that I'm aware of. Well, maybe you should be aware. <laughs> I'm have to look into that. <laughs> yeah, you're a young man. Better be careful here, you know, because there there is that in the fiddle, even in Paganini and you know the ideas of classical music that there's something so seductive about the violin itself, a sweetness or in and that combination of rhythm and tonality that the violin seems to achieve that almost no other instrument mm-hmm. can come near. I think breeds or generates this idea of uh, a connection to the supernatural. Right. You know, of playing, getting that rhythm, just hitting it right. And you know the flavor and the yeah. feeling of that because you play the music. Yeah. And everything's in that groove. And the dancers and the players and the crowd, and it just becomes where you play the role almost of, you know, Lord of the Dance here. And this instrument you're mm-hmm. playing is the thing you're using to create this this effect. Anything you want to say about that? And it's a, how do we use language for it? I don't know. Um. Yeah, I mean, I've been in those situations where, you know, whether we're on stage or just jamming at the house, you get in, you get right in the pocket and you just, you know, just it feels so great. All of a sudden, it's like almost like an outer body experience sometimes. Like, you don't know, you don't know how much time has passed, but you just know it's, you're right there, man. You're just right there in that pocket. Um, and it's so ephemeral. I mean, if you forget about selling CDs and there's yeah. not much money to be made selling yeah. CDs as we know these days and the touring. But when you're in that pocket, it's being created in the moment. There's not a penny to be made on it. Yeah. Seems like a complete waste of time and you wouldn't do anything other than be there. At that then moment. after it's done, you don't remember it. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just like, did that just happen? Kind of, you know, that's how I've had that happen before where I can't, you know, go back to think of, think on it. And it's like. It's, it's gone, you know, the time time just flew by, you know. And last question. Is there any effort now in down in Louisiana in a more intentional way to get younger people into this tradition, keep it going? There is. Um, there's a, a great organization at home called Louisiana Folk Roots. And um, I think it started in 2001. It was the first camp workshop camp like Augusta or fiddle tunes that was ever held in Louisiana because um, everybody would go to West Virginia or to Seattle or wherever it was to these camps to learn Cajun music and they'd take us from Louisiana to go teach Cajun music you know outside of Louisiana and this was the first first um, camp that the Dewey Balfa Cajun Creole Heritage Week that was started first one in Louisiana to to teach our own music to our own people, you know. And now they have a, what they call the the kids camp, Louisiana Focus Kids Camp, where they, you know, teach all the instruments. They teach them the, um, the language and how to sing. And, and from what I understand, the attendance is every year gets bigger and bigger. So, so the community is supporting this. Oh, definitely. Yeah, grabbing yeah. all of it. Yeah. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks, yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, same here.
Thank you for listening to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. Rosin the Bow is produced by Joe and Paula McHugh in the studios of the Raven Radio Theater. Our theme music was arranged and performed by the string quartet, The Fretless. For more information about the Rosin the Bow project, and for links to additional podcasts, please visit our website, rosinthebow.org. I leave you now with a quote from the great Louisiana fiddler and singer, Dewey Balfa. Tradition is preserved one generation at a time. ¶¶